For those that know as much as the creative process is apparent with this show, I do take a certain degree of effort when I come up with names for some of the shows. Some of them are more factual. The Gears and Guitars Festival recap show about Winston-Salem or, you know, the Pro Crit Championship recap show. Those does just make sense. But then you get an episode like Simply Unbeatable with Tulsa Tough and how Legion of Los Angeles did during the course of that weekend, how they were simply unbeatable. When it comes to this specific show, the creative process is kind of is kind of telling because it's one of those moments where I just get a little too deep. So it dawned on me while I was riding one day that what I wanted to talk about in this introduction and what I thought would be kind of a theme for the entire episode were the long miles that Harriet Owen, today's guest, puts in by herself and kind of how long miles is a symbol or kind of a metaphor to what's happening in her own personal life as she recovers from traumatic brain injury, a concussion that she suffered last year in March of 2021. And then I thought, well, Harriet's British. Is Miles going to have that much impact on her? And I'm sure that the British understand what miles is because they do converse equally between miles and kilometers. But now I'm starting to get too deep in it. And then I was like, oh, why don't we call it the long kilometers? And then I was just like, oh, great. An American audience going kilometers. Really, Rob? Really? You're pushing your euro creds pretty hard here for us. And so I was like, "Ugh, that's not going to work. Definitely not going to work. And then I was like, oh, the long road. Gosh, that makes a heck of a lot of sense. Has no problem with units of measure. And it's very symbolic of the long road that Harriet Owen has traveled, both before her concussion and in dealing with those concussion symptoms during the course of 2021 and where she's going to go in the future as she gets back into the American Criterion Peloton, as she pushes forward in her career. The long road, it's perfect. But in coming up with that title, it opened a floodgate of memories on me about a country music singer, Dirks Bentley, and a set of songs that he had produced in like the mid-2000s. For example, Every Mile a Memory, or The Long Trip Alone, or Free and Easy Down the Road I Go. And I was sitting there remembering back in like around 2006, how Every Mile of Memory was the song that made me want to buy an acoustic guitar and start to learn how to play, and how that short-lived ambition kind of fell apart the moment I started practicing law. And then it kind of flashbacked earlier to like 2004, where I was at a street festival, Riverfest, I think it was called, in Vicksburg, Mississippi, where Dirks Bentley was playing. And he was playing with all the energy of a performer who is sitting there thinking to himself, I have a top 20 billboard chart hit out right now. And here I am in the middle of the day in 95 degrees heat, 95% humidity in Vicksburg, Mississippi, playing a free concert. Maybe I should look into who my publicist is and try to be a little bit more careful with the timing of my shows. And then I don't know what happened, but something jarred me and got me focused back again on what the world was happening around me. And I looked around and I go, holy cow, I'm 75% of the way home from the Dunkin' Donuts in Poolsville, Maryland. My name is Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. We are a part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows, WideAnglePodium.com. It is the internet, the world, the galaxy's only collection of top-tier independent cycling content. Got a bunch of great shows, a bunch of hosts who are doing incredible work. Last week, I listened to this a just just mind-blowingly interesting episode done by the guys at the Slow Ride Podcast. I mean, their, their skits and their thought processes and their uh, arguments between and among themselves about the more critical 
points of cycling. Um, I'm not even sure what the right word is. Penumbra. They they just they really every week for an hour encapsulate those things that I find to be the most interesting on a Tuesday. And you guys should really go there, listen to their show, subscribe if you don't. We would love it if you became a member of the network and help support this content creator-owned effort. If you ever felt like buying us a beer, buying us a glass of whiskey, buying us a cup of coffee, Alan Schroeder, co-host here on the show, huge coffee fan. He's working on some Criterium coffee content for you. You know, I'm sure that he would really appreciate it. There is a donate button on the website. Go there, click that donate button, put forward a little bit of money. We would really appreciate it. You can focus it on the network or focus it on any of the specific shows. We'd love it if you chose Criterium Nation. We are brought to you this week by our friends at Manscaped. Manscaped.com, you can see their full lineup of products. But I wanted to talk specifically about the ultra premium kit that they've got. This is a package that I absolutely adore. It's here at my house. Been, you know, using it over the last couple of days. Absolutely love the way that it works together. And I like how I have a one consistent smell when I step out of the shower, as opposed to like a variety pack of different smells like I used to have with different hair products and body lotions and all of that. It was just too much going on. So what comes in the ultra premium collection. You've got such incredible, great things. So first off, you've got what you need to scrub yourself down. So it comes with a Manscaped body wash and then lathering up your hair, two-in-one shampoo conditioner. I don't know if you like to do hair washing first or doing the body spray, body scrub first. I don't know. I go shampoo first and then I get in there and I kind of clean everything off. Whatever. It works for you. The beauty behind the body wash and also the hydrating body moisturizer that you put on after you get out of the shower is that it really cleans you and it also keeps you conditioned. It keeps you moisturized. It works well with dry skin. It works well with skin that's got tattoos. So if you've got the sleeve and you're worried about, you know, your skin being all dry and that tattoo not looking as good as you want it to, that is why Manscaped makes the hydrating body moisturizer to reinvigorate that dry skin. And then boom, use the Manscaped deodorant, not deodorant for below the waist, That's a different product, equally incredible, but deodorant for your armpits to help keeping you smell as good out of the shower as you were in the shower. And with that ultra premium collection comes a free gift, a three pack set of lip balm that is made of high quality ingredients such as vitamin E, peppermint and eucalyptus oil that'll keep your lips feeling moist and chap free, even when you're putting in tons of miles in the waning days of winter when it's dry out, or if you're like Frank Cundiff and the guys at Project Echelon, you're out in Tucson racing the Tucson Bicycle Classic where it's super dry, that lip balm is going to be killer. Go over to manscaped.com, use the promo code CRITERIUMNATION, all one word, for 20% off plus free shipping. That's right. Criterium Nation, 20% off, free shipping. So let's get into it here with Harriet Owen, a woman who doesn't need much in the way of an introduction. Racing for Wolfpack ATX this year has won many, many bike races in her time. She has been one of the queens of sprinting. She has been one of the queens of the occasional breakaway. She's just a top quality bike racer, and as you'll find out soon, a top quality person. So myself, Harriet Owen, we're doing that, and we're doing that right now. I'm 
I'm Harriet Owen. I'm from Oxford in the United Kingdom, and I race for ATX Wolfpack, presented by Pro Bike Kit. And Harriet, like you, this it's a weird feeling. Like actually researching this show is a weird feeling because you have felt like a fixture within the United States Criterium scene. It's like it's hard to imagine a time before Harriet Owen was winning criteriums in the U.S. But the reality is, is that you didn't start really heavily racing in the U.S. until about 2018. How do you attribute your quick rise to the top of the U.S. crit scene? You know, were you racing crits in England beforehand? Did you, you know, did you come from the future and had all the answers to all the questions? You know, what what made you so darn good at this discipline that we just think you've always been around? I would definitely like to say that I've been to the future and I had all the answers, but that's definitely not true. I was previously a track racer when I was a junior and I did a lot of crits growing up. Our crits are very different in the UK. They're more punchy, tight corners, whereas the ones in the US are a bit more flowy. I did have a lot of crit experience, but in all honesty, I came to the US in 2018 as like my last season of racing. So I think this actually helped me in a way. I uh, didn't have any pressure. I would say that training that winter before was very minimal. Like I was pretty unfit when I came. I was just like going to have a fun time, enjoy the racing. So that year, I mean, I think the lack of pressure and like I didn't have any goals or anything. I just went in and raced. That helped me to just go in and be very open-minded. I don't know if that was how I became so successful quickly or not, but yeah, I don't know really. Why was it going to be your last year? I was at kind of the point in my life where I was thinking that I was going to settle down, get married. Um, I've been racing for a long time at this point. So I was just going to do one six month walk away in the US and come back to the UK and just kind of get fat and watch cycling instead of racing it. <laughs> what what changed your mind? Um, I didn't get married and I got an offer to race for Hagen's Berman after all of that went sideways and my life was kind of up in air and I didn't really know what I was doing with myself. So I turned to cycling as like my way to deal with all these life problems and it actually made me ride my bike more. I guess you could say it was like therapy, like bike riding was therapy for me. I would go out when I was struggling, whether I was happy, sad, or if I just generally wanted to ride my bike. Cycling was a real way for me to vent my emotions. And that obviously made me fitter. I was enjoying it more. And I had this opportunity to start racing pro with Hagen's again. This is more of a personal question for me because it's it's one of those things that like, how do you motivate yourself? You know, when you're out there on a training ride, it's the winter or the weather is not as good as you would like it to be, or life in general has just gotten super frustrating. I get angry, like actually legitimately angry. And the way that I deal with my anger is through pedaling and we're all human. We get angry. Like it's not a bad emotion to just feel it's a bad emotion to act upon in a negative way. But like, were you getting just plain and simple angry and you were using bike racing as a means to deal with just anger or am I missing the mark? Um, I would say it definitely wasn't anger. It was more of sadness, depression, not sure where I'm heading in life type of feeling. I think that being able to ride your bike outside is like a sense of freedom, right? You get to adventure a little. And if you're out there on your own, it's time for yourself. It's time to think without anything going on or your phone buzzing or looking, scrolling social media. So it's a way of like removing yourself from the world, but actually still being like present in the world. Yeah, because I noticed you do a lot of training by yourself. If if your Instagram is to be believed, there's a lot of solo miles in the Shire. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I barely ride with anyone. Sometimes I ride with a few people, but 
I mean, I would say 99% of the time it's on my own, which is good and bad. I like the time to myself, but also I get to the start of the season and I haven't ridden with anyone all winter and I'm like, am I fit or not? So it's weighing up whether it's good or bad, you know? Well, you definitely have in the past come into the season pretty fit. You know, I counted up from 2018 to now, you, you've you done 115 races. You've been on the podium, which is one, two, or three, you know, 50 times. That's an, an on-podium percentage of 44%, you know, in a sport where it is very unusual for people to win one or two races a year, like the average dude or the average woman does not win a lot, you're on the podium 44% of the time. Do you appreciate that to be what it is, that it is something legitimately special? Firstly, I would just like to say that I really love the fact that you've put that into numbers because I'm a real big numbers geek and I really enjoyed that. (laughs) I have never actually looked at it that way. And that is pretty cool. I would say that my confidence in my own ability, even now, is something that I really need to work on. So if you said to me, oh, you're like one of the main contenders in the US, I'd be like, nah, I'm not. There's so much, so many people that are faster or better than me. But I mean, when you actually say those numbers to me, it's quite hard to argue. You literally have on road results, so the website that I like to rely upon for the U.S., you have something like 10 top victims, people that you routinely beat. And it's a really great list of, of women, you know, Matilda Reynolds from Fearless Femme and Celine Oberholzer, from, formerly of, of your now team Wolfpack, your own teammate, Rachel Langdon. You know, these are all people that you beat on a regular basis. There is only one nemesis of yours in the U.S., meaning a woman who beats you more regularly than you beat her, and that's Skylar Schneider. We all know that she is somewhat superhuman. You are in that rare air where everybody just assumes that you're going to be on the podium or competing for a podium. What is it about criterium racing, especially the American version of it, that just seems to suit you so well? I think that... It suits me because I can take a laid back approach to it. Criterion racing in the US is way more fun. I don't get stressed out or worried or anxious about what's happening, the racing or anything. I just, I go there, I turn up, I, I race, I have fun. I enjoy it no matter what happens. Whereas in Europe and the UK, there's this sense of like, everybody's very stressed and it's a big thing. And everyone's looking at each other and that makes me feel nervous. And if I'm nervous, I'm not going to do well. I mean, my confidence level is already in the negative. So if I'm nervous, I'm definitely not going to perform at my best. So the U.S. helps the fact that I'm always normally in good spirits. I'm ready to race. It's nice to be able to have a joke and a laugh with people on the start line, you know, and it is serious when it comes down to it, but overall it's, it's a whole lot of fun. I've definitely seen a fair number of pictures from Snowy Mountain, for example, when you were on Hoggins Berman, of you on the start line with a very serious expression on your face. There is no joking around for you on the start line, but it's like seeing the smile on your face right then and there. I, I recognize it. I recognize it from the parking lot. You know, I recognize it from the trainer, from warming up or warming down. You and your teammate walking around Tulsa this year, even though it was like 3,000 degrees out, you guys had massive smiles on your face. Why do you think that being happy and lighthearted and having, you know, kind of a bounce in your step is a a net positive for you when it comes to your performance? Uh, Cycling is definitely a hobby. I mean, I definitely don't get paid to do this. So if I'm not enjoying it and I'm not having fun, then I'm not going to be racing. That's simple to me. A lot of people get too hung up on whether they're going to do well, the stress, the build up to it, that they don't actually end up enjoying the racing at all because they're just so worried about it. 
So to take the approach, whereas whatever happens, happens, we're going to smile and move on for it. And there's normally another race within a week. So one of the race series that you are particularly good at is the Tour of America's Dairyland. The the 10, 11 days in Wisconsin in June. You have raced there 21 times and finished on the podium 15. That's a 71% on podium percentage. It is like when you look at your results, it's first, 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 first. Even this year, there were so many firsts and seconds during that time. What is it like to go on a run like that? Like you just said, you know, there's always a race within at least a week. And this is a race every single day for a week or more where you are ending up being celebrated. Is that something that you do become accustomed to or used to? Or is it still a unique special moment every single time? It's definitely a unique special moment every time. I mean, I love Toad. It was actually my first race that I ever did in the US. The stats on Toad is yeah, is impressive. But uh, I would say Toad is a special sort of fun environment. All the people that work there are friendly. Everyone that's there are just there to have a good time. I mean, it's 10 or 11 days of racing, right? It's, you get to like day five and you've, you think, I have no idea how I'm doing another five days of this. But I don't know what it is about Toad, especially in 2019. I'm, I think I won six times or something. I, like every day I would get there and I think, oh, I'm not sure if I could do it today. And then I'd get in it and it would get to the last two laps and I'd be like, okay, just like one more push. And I'd end up doing well. And it comes back to the same thing of once I've had one good result and I start believing in myself that I can do it, I sort of get on a roll. So that was the same with Toad is in 2019, I hadn't done very well until June. Like I was questioning whether I was having a bad year or something had gone wrong. I went to Toad for a bit of fun to enjoy racing and I, I did well. And once I got that first win, it was just like a momentum. I just kept rolling with it trying to be daring, see what would happen. Yeah, 2019 does look like it was a tough year to begin with for you. I mean, you went way outside of your Criterium racing comfort zone with Redlands and Joe Martin and Tucson, you know, these more classic, even Valley of the Sun, these more classic road stage races. But then you turned up here in my hometown in D.C., you know, and, and put together two podiums at the Armed Forces in Tulsa, you, you showed up, you did well the first night, and then Crybaby Hill looks like it punished you. But then you just hit this run with a win at East Troy, you know, downtown West Bend, you win, Janesville, you win, Shorewood, Central Bay, the Otto Wentz uh, Downer Classic, you know, like, it's just this never-ending list of, of one, 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 one. What happens when that streak ends, though? You know, when you become so, you just assume that you're going to win again and again and again, because that's what happens. Because, for example, you go into 2019, you go into Gateway, and everybody's like, there's no way that Harriet Owen is going to lose any part of Gateway. You know, Lafayette Park is just a square. It's perfect for you. Francis Park is equally just punchy powerful but you run into olivia ray who was at that point in time on pickle juice and nobody knew who she was and olivia wins you know three of the four days of gateway what's it like for a run of wins to come to an end how do you deal with that i think that being on a i mean on a team sport it's the pressure of everyone else that is harder to deal with than actually the pressure from myself I do put a lot of pressure on myself, but when you're expected to win, that's very different to wanting to win. I always see it as, oh, I've had a good run. Like if I don't win anymore, I don't win anymore. That's fine with me. But once you've won a lot, your team then expects you to continue winning, right? So that's quite hard to differentiate between you yourself where you're like, oh, I'm actually quite happy with my season. Like if Gateway doesn't go well, that's fine to five other riders relying on you to get the result that we wanted. 
gateway that year was a bit like, oh my God, it was this girl that keeps smashing us all in these sprints. Like it's the last race of the season. Everyone's tired. Olivia Ray comes in and I'm like, sorry, hang on. Who's this just coming around me? So that was a shock for everyone else. I was kind of a bit like, ah, that's cool. Like somebody else is coming through, but also in the fact like, ah, that's not cool. You just like completely smash me. The run always has to come to an end, right? You can't always, unless you're Skylar Schneider, you can't always win. (laughs) So I look at it as I normally reach for the podium. Like I always say, if I get on the podium, I think I've done well. I would love to win. And that is the ultimate goal. But if I get on the podium, I'm never going to be unhappy about it. Let's talk about this last year, 2021, and about kind of your experiences with with Instafund and with what was at the outset supposed to be like a proper UCI European campaign. You know, when you when you look at the way that you want, the way that I perceive that you wanted that year to be built, you had done your couple of years in the United States and you had had a lot of success. Now, as a as a a proud member of the or a proud citizen of the United Kingdom, I'm sure you wanted to stay a little bit closer to home because it's not. Is it easy to do this to come from southern England and you know, live an entire summer in the United States away from family and friends, from your nephew and sister. And, you know, is that an easy thing to do? No, definitely not. I mean, everybody says, oh, you're just basically on holiday, aren't you? Which is definitely not true. I I mean, I have a full-time job that is on the UK and Europe time zone. Uh, I was waking up at 3, 4 a.m. to make meetings this year just so I could actually hold down the job. And the fact of being away for a long period of time, it does get tiring just having to move your suitcase from one place to the next. And it's nice to be able to go home sometimes. Like people don't appreciate that I don't go home all summer. Whereas people are going home in between races, you have that refresher ready to go again. I normally jump in the van all hot and sweaty and my stuff's flying everywhere and you have to regroup before you get to the next location. It's not to say that I don't enjoy it because I really, really do enjoy my summers, but it is definitely testing. It's good to have a teammate like Rachel. You know, it seems like the two of you got along pretty well and that must have made it easier to have a good group with you moving from place to place. A good team is very nice to have. I mean, it was apparent this year me and Rachel traveled a lot together and very much so on Hagen's Berman. We all got along really well, which helps when you're all crammed in one area together, right? I mean, you're waking up, cooking meals, riding together, chilling out together. You do everything as a team. So to have people that are on your same wavelength and can have a laugh and also get the job done. And that's great. There's this really terrible joke that I'm going to tell and I'm going to regret it. Uh, probably two, two teammates are sitting in the host house before the race starts. The Wi-Fi goes out. One looks over at the other person and says, so how long have you been on the team? <laughs> See, I find that quite funny, but I have a really bad sense of humor. Like I mess around a lot. I think my team this year, they're obviously yet to meet me. And I think they think I'm like this serious person that gets the job done. Cause as you say that you see a lot of photos of me on the start line and I do try and put this serious face on. Cause I like at that point I am kind of thinking about the race, but that's really not me. Like I'm the stupid one that's messing around in the team van, like two minutes before we have to leave for the start line. So tell us about what 2021 was supposed to be. What was the season supposed to look like before you eventually get hurt? So the team, I mean, the team had really big plans to have a, a big year in Europe on the road. I'd done my biggest season, uh, biggest winter of training to date going into it. And I was ready and prepped. We had some racing in Belgium and France in the spring. Um, we were going to take a little bit of a break after that and then head to back to Spain for a really big block in in May 
come back to do nationals in your own country. And then we were going to go back to Europe again for another big block in Belgium. And then that would have included the Volta. So there was really big plans. Um, everyone was quite scared about it. I was partly scared, but because we were getting thrown into the deep end, but I had already done this type of racing before. So I, I guess the scary part for me was that unfortunately I knew what was coming more than I didn't know what was coming. And I think that's actually worse. <laughs> you know, the pain that's about to be experienced and, and you know, you can handle it, but it's also like, yeah, well, the only way through the, the only way out is through. Yeah, definitely. So team camp in March, you crash and you have a concussion. What, what happened? How, how did you, how did you crash? So, I mean, I've definitely replayed this day a lot in my head. Um, we, it was our first day together on camp. It was our first training ride. We all headed out to do, I think we were going to be doing three hours or something that day. Quite early on in the ride, we started to do like a pace line. We started to rotate through. The plan was to do these local loops of that our DS had picked to do at the time. And we were just going to rotate and we were probably going to do some other stuff in there that I never actually got to. So we went through this construction zone and I mean, it was closed off. There wasn't really any traffic through there, but there was a small lip in the road that they'd obviously like dug, been digging at the tarmac. I mean, if you hit it at any sort of speed, you would have just rolled over it. Unfortunately, one of my teammates, I'm still actually not sure what happened because I've never asked and I still don't really want to ask right now. But from what I gather is she hit it and either a hand fell off her bars and she, you know, when you slip, you have absolutely no control. She then verged across either that or there was a touch of wheels. I'm not too sure. Anyway, when she crashed, she crashed basically right in front of me and another teammate, and I just pitched over the top and landed straight on my head. My teammate unfortunately broke a leg. Like, we weren't going fast, but everybody landed awkwardly. It was one of those bad ones. Immediate, I mean, I jumped up immediately. My initial reaction was like, oh, my God, what the hell? Maybe a few more swear words that aren't good to use on this podcast. But... I initially jumped up and I mean, my teammate was screaming in the road initially. Like my first reaction was, oh my God, I need to go see if she's okay. And then as things transpired, neither of us were quite okay. (laughs) When did you realize that you were hurt worse than that initial jump up and attend to somebody else instinct would allow you? So we... Not long after this, we got her out the road and we were waiting for the ambulance for to come get her. And we were sat behind this tractor, just sheltering from the wind because, I mean, we were in really cold, wet, rainy Belgium. And I was sat there on the floor and I felt sick and my head was pounding. And it was then I was like, oh, oh God, this is not not going to be able to wake up in the morning and just pretend that that never happened. What was that next day like when you did wake up and you knew that you weren't going to be able to continue the plan as it existed? I mean, I was just really sad. At that point, I wasn't actually too worried about myself. I was sharing a room with my teammate that broke a leg. So I was helping her like move around the house. We were on the top up two flights of stairs to get to our room and she was not mobile which I think was good for me because I couldn't think about it too much but I mean I knew I I really deep down knew I just didn't want to accept it at the time I mean you did end up racing some in April but in May you had to step back you know in May you finally had to admit that this the concussion that you had suffered was worse than what you would kind of hoped that it would be. Cause like a lot of us, you know, a lot of us who've been athletes throughout our entire life and who've played any sport that has any kind of contact, 
will end up having a traumatic brain injury, a minor traumatic brain injury, which is what a concussion is actually called. And you take a few days off and you, you know, you move on with your life and you try to get back to where you're going. With this particular concussion, it was actually much worse. Hindsight's a wonderful thing, right? I definitely should not have raced any at any point in April. Athletes are annoying in the fact that we're never not going to compete. We're never going to not want to jump back on a bike. If there's an opportunity to race, we'll race. And my team never told me not to race. They knew that I still had symptoms. And I definitely know that it was my choice, right? I It was up to me whether I was going to be on the start line, but nobody ever told me no. So I was always going to race, like no matter how much. I thought that, that I could tell that I wasn't right, but I was like, oh, you know, well, maybe if I give it another week, it'll be okay. And then those weeks kept rolling into months. And then it got to the point in May, I was in Girona on what was meant to be our, like, pre-camp before we went and did all these really big races in Spain. I went and did three hours and it was hard, but you know, just the normal kind of endurance pace, but I was pooped. Like I could not do anything. My head was pounding. I was trying to do my work in the afternoon and I couldn't focus on it. And I spoke to my teammate, Rachel, and I was like, I think, like, I think I just need to go home. And I told my team I was going home and that was kind of that. I had to go home and suck it up and not ride my mic. Ed, so you and I talked at Tulsa, you know, because the first day of Tulsa, I crashed and I hit my head and I was concussed. I was confident after that crash on Friday night at Tulsa that come Saturday morning, I was going to get back up and race my bike. I had actually brought two helmets with me because that's what you do. Why bring one when you can bring two? I mean, I bring three pairs of shoes with me just in case it doesn't match my aesthetic for that particular day. But my good friend, Adam Mills, took me aside that day on Friday night after I crashed, and he looked at me and he goes, you're not right. You are not right. You are not racing. And I the number of times that I told him to F off in my head is amazing. But like, he was right. I was not okay. Did anybody come to you and say, Harriet, you're not okay. You need to get this checked out. This is traumatic brain injury. This is serious. This is not something that you can, as we say, you know, rub some dirt on it and walk it off. Uh, definitely not. No. I mean, I needed that the entire year and there was no support throughout the entire year. It was just me making the decisions. And ultimately that's where I completely failed because I'm the athlete. I'm always going to race my bike. I'm always going to want to train. I'm always going to want to continue on. And that was completely my downfall. I would definitely put my hands up and say that if I look back at it now and I know what I, I know now from all the research that I've done on it, if I would have completely stopped from the day after I crashed, it's likely I'd be better right now. But I'm not because I continued on. Because I'm guessing patience is not one of your virtues. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say no. Definitely not when it comes to racing. I mean, I have to be patient in a race, but... Also, yeah, I do like to just go off the front. We're late nearly two to try and get in a break when I've been told to sit there and wait sprint. So I'm going to say no, patience is not one of my strengths, actually. <laughs> you audibled this year and you had this European block planned, but it was like clearly not going to happen. So you came here to the United States after 12 weeks of struggling with with post-concussive syndrome, you came to Air Force and you came to Tulsa. What was it like being back here in the United States in 2021 when, you know, 2020 was just off? There was no racing. I remember 
when you and I were together in March of 2020, right before the pandemic started in California, you know, for a team camp, you know, we were all like, this is going to be the greatest year. This is going to be everything. And then the year vanished, you know, and you were back in Oxfordshire. Yeah. 2020 was sad. That was going to be a good year. I just like to say that now, like my butcher box would have been very epic, but 2021, it was nice to be back. I'd, I had to go to Mexico for two weeks to even get to the U S. So I was ready to be done with COVID and trying to wrangle my way into countries. So to be back and racing was really great to be back and racing on my fitness that I had was not so great. I mean, I, I barely really trained. I was just trying to ride my bike. So my muscles actually remembered what to do. So to be at armed forces and then be like, ah, oh, let's see if I can sprint against the best sprinters in the US was definitely a shock to the system. Your humility is amazing because like you finished seventh and sixth at armed forces. You finished fourth on the first night of Tulsa Tough. There's not a lot of people who are listed here in front of you who are not world tour level talent. Kendall, Skylar, Maggie Coles Lister, like you're getting incredible results, but still that's not, it's not the podium. It's not the top, you know, like, are you okay with that? Yes and no. I think last year I knew I wasn't myself and I knew that I wasn't racing at my best. And to get the results that I did whilst feeling like that actually gave me a lot of confidence as well as I was getting frustrated that I couldn't do it. So it was a definitely a catch-22 situation where I was happy that I could do it, but also I, I really did want to be able to do more. But then again, you ended up at Toad, and we all know what happens at Toad. You go to Manitowoc, and you win. You go to Heartland, you get second. You go to Downer, you get second. Like It was just a list of of podiums, you end up at Sunny King, one of the best races in the United States, and you win. I mean, you beat Olivia Ray, you know, who herself was coming back from injury in that race, but still beating somebody who can put out, you know, 1300 watts for, you know, 10 seconds is, is an accomplishment. So it seems like everything's going in a positive direction, but you're still feeling these symptoms from the concussion. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to just continue on and not, I didn't want it to be the fact that I'd get to a race and I'd be like, seem to be making an excuse, right? I'd chosen to be there. So I would go there, I would race and I would do my best. I never wanted it to be like, oh, Harriet only came third because she has a concussion. I wanted to to race properly. And the first few days of Toad after Tulsa, were probably one of the worst few days of the summer. Tulsa was super hot and to have a concussion where it's really hot and you're trying to hydrate and everybody's dehydrated, which causes headaches. So to be in a hot place with a concussion is like a no-go. You just avoid it. So to be at Tulsa and then we did Tulsa and drove to Toad. The first two or few, three days of Toad, I was like, I, I don't even think I'm going to get through this. Like I was sat last wheel throughout the whole races and just finishing to get that win at Toad. I'd sort of come around a bit and I, f I felt like, okay, maybe I can do this. And then the next day I actually won again, but from a breakaway, which was something I don't get to do very often. So that was actually pretty cool. And it, it was kind of like I was ignoring the fact that I still had all these symptoms because I was doing well. It was easy for me to say, I'm, I think I'm doing, I'm getting better because I'm winning. Like I must be, I can't do this. I wouldn't be able to do this otherwise. Sunny King, I mean, Sunny King still makes me smile now. I, I actually have no idea how I pulled that off. It was actually one of the hardest crit races of the year as well, as in like numbers wise. That was just a lot of fun. I mean, I, I won a lot of money. I won an, enough money to go to Spain for six weeks previously. It Sunny King was great. Although the first few preems that I saw Olivia Ray literally fire off the front, I was like, 
oh my dear god like what am I going to do how am I even going to come next to that how am I going to take the finish like I have no idea how I'm going to even get close I think everyone was stunned how quickly she went off the front for those creams like on the hood so like casually like I'm going to win all this money and I was like sat watching it happen like ah dear god so Sunny King <laughs> Sunny King was a nice surprise um that was definitely a confidence boost but I mean again I was ruined we were meant to be racing the next day in this local crit I woke up and I was like that I can't do it like there's absolutely not it, it racing would wipe me out for like two or three days as into the fact that I couldn't function that well. I was tired. I was still trying to work and it was just getting a bit silly. But again, I was the one making the decisions. I I was doing well. So I thought I was getting better. So I continued on. You do eventually stop in August, August 18th. You make a decision in a statement. You announced that you had been racing at 60%, you know, level and that you just needed to stop and heal. I, given your results, 60% is scary. I, I would hate to see what you would have been like with the other 40%. You know, the entire women's field would have probably changed a little bit, the, the nature of the way the year did. But what was it in August that made you say, you know what? Nope, nope, nope. We got to stop. The race at Boise, again, super hot. It was a really bad day for me, like concussion-wise. I remember waking up. I felt like I had a hangover. That's actually one of the feelings you get from having a concussion quite a lot. I went for a spin with my team, which I didn't even feel like I was there. I felt like I was a zombie, like I wasn't even on my bike. I went back to the house and I was in bed pretty much the entire day. Like it got to the point where Rachel was like, Harriet, we're leaving in 20 minutes. You actually need to eat something so we can go race. That was the start of the end, really. Um, I made it through Salt Lake. And I woke up the day the day before Birmingham was a lot like the day of Boise. And I was crying a lot. Like concussion does funny things to your head. It causes you to be very sad when you don't know you that you don't have a reason for it. I was just in a really bad place mentally at that point. Like it got to Birmingham and I was crying every other minute. I'm not, I'm definitely not a crier. So that was firstly a warning sign. I felt like I couldn't lift my head off the pillow. I couldn't concentrate. If you said something to me, there was probably a 2% chance that it, what you said to me, I would have remembered or not. It just goes in one ear and out the other. It got to the point where I was like, we're in August. Can I continue this on? till October, which was the season end date last year. It went on for a long time. And I looked at how many races there was to go. And, you know, I just, I just said it, it got to the point where I couldn't do it. Like I could mentally could not deal with the pain anymore. Were you getting support from your team? Were you getting support from team doctors or from anybody outside of Rachel? Uh, no, definitely not. The team didn't have any doctors. At no point did I see any doctors from the team, the team said that they were going to help me with the best doctors in the world and medical advice, but I never saw a thing. It was literally, as it looked, it was literally me and Rachel in the van making decisions, going bike racing. And yeah, as fun as that looked, actually on the inside of that, it was or like this, that was the worst year I've had by far. Even the year that my life got flipped up and down in 2018, definitely last year was the worst year I've had. You go home to England, you take a lot of time off, you see some specialists, you see some folks to help deal with the concussion. You come back, you you and Rachel go to Malaga. I can never pronounce the city right. It's a city in Spain. You guys have this what looked like a culinary just like dream come true uh, of, of wine and food and great nights. Like it just looked like heaven. How are you feeling during that time? Malaga is like one of my happy places. I go there a lot. I spent two and a half months there during COVID when we were all locked down. So going there is like, 
a place where I go and I get there and I just smile. Um, being there was actually not as good as it looked on Instagram. I went there so I could restart training. I mean, definitely the food tour. I would just like to say that I'm a big foodie, so everything food related makes me happy. And that was a really good experience. But besides that, racing wise, I went there to start training again. Ultimately, I ended up riding two or three times in our six week period. I just was nowhere near ready to be going out and riding again. And I said all summer, oh, I need to get better for Malaga. I need to get better for Malaga. Malaga came and I wasn't anywhere close to where I thought I would be. So that was incredibly difficult, maybe more so just as difficult as it was to leave the US to be able to still be in the same spot in December was quite a kick in the teeth for me and the realization that I didn't really know what was coming. Mentally, I'd got to the point where I was in a really bad spot. I was super sad. I was depressed. So at that time, I was, I said to myself, like, I'm not racing ever again. Like, I'm done. And I sort of regrouped and I started a new job last year too within Trek. So I had a focus now, like I was just working like a normal full-time continuing on and I could focus on my job a bit more than normal. And that kind of distracted me from it in a way. But I mean, Rachel was still riding her bike. I would sit there and watch her go out every day. And that was, yeah, it was really tough. Where are you now? I mean, you've taken a lot of time off. You've completely renovated your house. It looks great. You know, you've had a lot of home improvement projects going on. You know, you've got this new job. You've you've made a lot of steps in the adulting world as a bike racer, as a competitive human. Where are you now? I had a little bit of a breakthrough just after Christmas. Like I had a real big surge in improvements. And I actually said to my mom the other day, like, mom, I I feel like I've woken up. I feel a completely different human. I rode my bike for the first time outside a couple of weeks ago, and it had been like two or three months or something wild. I'm kind of training. I wouldn't wouldn't call it training. Like I can ride at a very, very low heart rate for short periods of time, which is great. It's nice to be able to ride outside and be on my bike again. I still have quite a bit of progress to go, but I've definitely figured out what triggers my symptoms. And that was a real big breakthrough because if I can keep myself from triggering symptoms, then hopefully that means I won't get any headaches or I'm fatigued or anything like that. I mean, it's February. People are already racing this month. That makes me panicked. But I would say that I will be racing this year. I'm not sure when. My competitiveness wants it to be like next week. But firstly, my head definitely would like it. And my lungs would hate it even more. So we'll see what happens with the racing side. But I will definitely be back. So that's the kind of the ultimate question. You know, the American Peloton cannot exist without Harriet Owen. That's just my statement. It's a blanket statement. I'm sorry. You can all hate me. But do you, in your heart, want to come back? Do you want to get back to where you were before all of this happened? Definitely. Definitely like to agree of the Harriet in 2019. I think that Last year, I don't think really people saw that my, nobody really saw Harriet. She was kind of hiding out all year within my concussion. So I would definitely like to get back where I was. I would like to progress on a little bit, but I, I think that's just me being greedy. I would definitely just like to have a chilled out, drama-free year where I can just race my bike and hopefully win 36 donuts at Toad again and, you know, the fun things that the season's meant to bring. Since you brought up drama, we do have a few things to talk about that are a little drama-esque. In June, you announced that 
you, meaning you and Rachel, both announced that you would be back with InstaFund for 2022. You had signed contracts. And then in October, right around the same time, you and Rachel, in statements, both announced that you would be leaving the team. And you both said very similar things that, quote unquote, values, respect, and support are essential to happiness in a cycling team, and no money will ever change that. What happened? You know, I've thought about this a lot, actually. And I don't actually know what happened at their end to make it seem like we, you know, it seemed like they weren't happy with me and Rachel racing this summer. And when we first went to the US, I got told that our sponsors really needed podiums. Like they want to see the kit on the podium. They want to be able to represent the team. So I went there and I was like, okay, like I'm going to get you podiums. I'm going to start putting our kit on the podium for you. And essentially I would say that we achieved that. Like I would say that InstaFund had the biggest exposure to date last year. Before this, I'm not sure how many podiums they actually had. So to be told that their what they saw of the season was completely different to me was shocking to me. I mean, I struggled throughout the year to keep my mouth not keep my mouth shut, but bite my lip about what was going on and how riders were being treated. And I would say that if you ask the riders from last year, their experience of InstaFund, they may or may not tell you because nobody quite wants to speak out about anything in cycling because essentially the sponsors are the ones with the money and money drives the sport. So to get your reputation tarnished by a team is just not what you want. You're not going to move forward. And because I retracted from re-signing from InstaFund this year, because essentially I didn't think that we got valued at all this year. And I'm not just talking about myself. I'm talking about the entire nine riders. Like I saw a lot of things go down this year that I just didn't say anything. and. It got to the point where I was like, you know, I don't want to deal with this drama anymore. I don't want to be involved with this team. I don't want to get treated badly for a season of their best ever results. Like, I'm I'm done. I'm walking away and that's that. I mean, if you know Instafun, you know that they, they are a wealthy team and they do have a lot of money. Hence my comment about no money will ever change that. I mean throw a lot of money at a rider and they're going to stay or throw a lot of money at a rider and they're going to go to a team that has quite negative comments towards it. They're still going to go there because we don't make much. If somebody offers you like a decent amount of money to go race your bike for the summer, you're just going to take it and you're going to deal with what happens along the way. I didn't want it to be another year of me just watching what goes on and not saying anything because ultimately I feel bad for the way that riders were treated last year and I never said anything. I just continued to race and that was probably the wrong thing. I mean, it was definitely the wrong thing for me to just watch it happen. But as a veteran UCI rider, Hoggins Berman was a UCI team. InstaFund was a UCI team. You know, this is not your first go around racing at the pro Conti level, as a UCI rider, somebody who has signed a contract and is a professional, what are your expectations for the way that you as a rider will be treated? And how were those expectations not met by your experience with InstaFund? Uh, firstly, the UCI concussion protocol is something I would really push for teams to do if you're a UCI team that was never done on team camp. So for me, that was a terrible place to start because I didn't have baseline. UCI puts that out for riders to do. I mean, on a UCI team, you expect to not have to drive 30,000 miles across the US to race. I mean, admittedly, it gave us freedom, but also 
that is not something that you would expect to do. I mean, as a rider, you want to race, so you do it. The one thing that was the real breaking point for me was I got told that I couldn't race with the team. And I was really shocked and like kind of hurt that that had been thrown at me. I have been racing my bike since I was 11 and have been on a team since I was, what, 13, 14. Like I know how much of a team sport this is and I wouldn't have got the results last year without my team, my like my teammate leading me out. So to say that we just wanted to race for it as a two all year was a real kick in the teeth for me because I would have loved for my team to have been at all those races because to beat people like Skylar Kendall, Olivia Ray, you need a whole team of six. To have a team of two was hard, like to cover moves and sprint. I would so much rather have a team. After that, I was like, this is time to depart. I'm sorry. I really would love the money because I really want to redo my bathroom. I'm just going to have to win more premiums this year. <laughs> in in a recent Instagram post, you talked about legal action, awaiting more legal action, presumably from InstaFund. Has there been something going on in the background that we, the general public, don't know? Because, I mean, you had a contract. You broke the contract. Is there something going on in the background that you're willing to share? Um, I would actually just like to say that I never broke my contract. I was contracted until December, uh, 31st of December on my contract last year, and I hadn't actually signed an official contract for 2022. So there was no breakage of any contract at any point, but that was a general contention as there wasn't an, obviously I put announcement that I wasn't gonna resign they took that I, I did break my contract, but there was, I mean, there was no contract for this year as such. That was all I would say on that point. I'm definitely not looking to pick a fight by putting that out. And I'm definitely not looking to pick a fight from speaking out about it. I'm just voicing my concern against welfare for riders more than anything. If this tarnishes my reputation, I'm fine with it because everything that I'm saying has happened. But the riders on the team last year that were development riders or riders that got treated not so great, released from deep and broken bones and just sent into the wild on their own, like they didn't get the chance to speak out and they just got their equipment, their racing season or their fitness just gone to, gone to waste and that's not fair. Where are you going to go from here? You know, you... You're racing with Team Wolfpack, ATX, next season, which means that you'll be coming back to the United States, hopefully. You know, where do you plan on going from there? Um, I'm actually really looking forward to the show with Wolfpack. We've got some really exciting news coming up. We're going to be doing more racing, not just crits, which is exciting. And we are actually going to be giving back to to the community more, which is something that I'm really, really looking forward to. So we'll be doing a lot of women's cl uh, beginners clinics that I'm going to be involved in and everyone on the team, which is great. And for me personally, I would just want to have fun this year. I definitely want to try and progress after I've got through this year smoothly. I would say that I would want, I do want to get back to the level I was at. If that's on a UCI team or not, that makes no difference to me. I would just like to be at a point where I know I can go into a race and I know that even if Legion are there, I feel like I still have a, a chance for the win, but we'll see. Well, Harriet, thank you so much for being on the show. We will be watching you all year long to see how you're doing. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the show. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. WideAnglePodium.com. Go there to find the full bevy of shows that are available for you there. 
Today's episode was written, produced, and edited by me, Rob Kelly. Special thanks to Harriet Owen, who met me at 4 o'clock her time, 10 o'clock my time. I love how time zones work. It's great. It's wonderful. But we had such a great talk, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. Next week, we have Tim Hall, y'all. The coach, head coach from Lees McRae College, sits down with us for the hour plus some and tells us about his way of keeping people positive and motivated, what collegiate cycling means to not just himself and his athletes, but also to the entire world of cycling here in the United States and how we should be supporting Join us here again next week for more stories from our Criterium Nation. Dear cycling friends, we accept the fact that we have created the premier gravel and road racing podcast, and we don't think you're crazy to ask us who we think we are. You see us as you want to see us, in the simplest terms, in the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a hobby blogger, a gravel pro, and a curious newbie. And you can find us on the Wide Angle Podium Network. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours the Grodio Podcast.